0: and Boris Johnson can get voted into office. And that isn't meant to be a party political statement. It's a statement of fact about character and conduct. They are not fit for office. What a messed up world we live in when they can be found in office, when the majority of the nation would vote them in. And does any week make that point more than the week that we've just had where Donald Trump is found to have incited an attempted coup and where Boris Johnson is voted by 40% of his own party but they have no confidence in his leadership and he's undeterred and we are surprised and if we live in a world that wouldn't know a good leader if it ran up to them and slapped them in the face We need to be mindful of this in the church. And again, that is not conjecture. How many prominent Christian leaders have crashed out of ministry and fallen from grace in recent years? It's scary. In the short time that I have been a leader, I have seen leaders come and go. It is scary. There is a crisis of leadership in this world. There is a crisis of godly leadership in the church. In the last year, I've I've got into podcasts, and I uh, listened to a series of podcasts called "The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill," and it it discussed what led to the resignation of Mark Driscoll from his role as the senior pastor of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, in the USA. And it was the most sobering thing I've listened to in ages. It was really quite scary listening to it. Because as I listened to it, I heard how the wider leadership team and even the congregation saw but either didn't recognise or didn't challenge abusive and unbiblical leadership. It just went on and it went unchallenged. And and I, I wept as I listened because although we're not churches of thousands in the UK, I've seen it in the UK. I've seen it in leaders in the UK, I've seen it in congregations in the UK, and it left me crying out, God, help us. Save us from ourselves. Make us demand in the church better leaders than we see in the world. In the leadership training that I've done over the years, quite often you will hear of the three C's of Christian leadership, of calling, of character, and of competency and invariably the teacher would say if you're to be found without one be found without competency skills can be learned, you can grow in skills, although we're growing in a godly character all the time there is, a, there is a benchmark for releasing into ministry that we read in 1 Timothy and Titus of, you know, for elders and for deacons that there are minimum requirements of, of the character that should be found in a person before they are released into leadership. And calling is crucial. Calling cannot be done without. I'm preaching today on chapters 2 and 3 of 1 Thessalonians. And we have, we have a narrative. It's not so much teaching as much as it is a story. We're getting the history of Paul's interaction with the church in Thessalonica. So I'm drawing leadership principles out of it. It's not an explicit teaching. I also want to be clear as well I'm not commending myself to you. I'm not saying this is what a good leader is and this is me. I'm not doing that. I'm only trying to draw principles from it because we need to wrestle with this. As God's as people, we need to wrestle with this. We need to say, God, let the leadership that is found in your people be worthy of the call that is on us as your people. Let us never find the in the church. I, I actually want to read all of today's passage, partly because I'm not going to speak for very long, and so I don't want to cheat you out of uh, sermon time, but also because uh, into, because I'm not going to talk about it for very long, so I will just read it all to you. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and chapter 3, then I'm going to make four points. I'm going to have, make one reflection on this, um, and then uh, and then I'm going to, as I say, I'm going to move into something very practical that I want us to pray together about as a body. So this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's going to take me four minutes to read this, Okay. I know this. I hope you're okay with four minutes of listening to me reading from the text. <laughs> For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we have already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippine, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. I realise I didn't put it up here, so you're going to have to trust that I'm reading this faithfully. It's 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3, Abby, if you know how to add them, sorry. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext to greed, and God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labour and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed that to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers." For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, But God's wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavoured the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I called again and again but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith Uh, The good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith and then there is a benediction a, a blessing before we move into chapter four and five and the teachings of the book of over to the church in Thessalonica forgive me i know that was a long passage but you might so four quick, four quick uh, leadership principles from this. Because methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, principles never do. A good leader takes the hits for their people. A good leader takes the hits for their people. Two weeks ago I recounted the story of the church in Thessalonica how Paul uh, and his team of Silas and Timothy They spent three weeks in the synagogue preaching to the Jews. They spent time in Thessalonica preaching to the Gentiles. And a church was birthed. And I talked about the fact that it was only a few months old that Paul and Silas and Timothy had to leave Thessalonica because of persecution. They took the hits for the sake of the faith and salvation of those in Thessalonica. They'd already been shamefully treated in Philippi And yet, they were willing to take more hits again for love, for the sake of the people that God had called them to minister to. Point two, I really am going to rattle through these. A good leader lives as an example. That might be the most important thing, but again, I'm not going to say very much about this. Paul practiced what he preached. In what he did, yes but most importantly in how he did it. God cares about our hearts most. He cares about the means more, I think, than he cares about the ends. He demonstrated and he instilled in the church in Thessalonica the three core Christian values, not of productivity and efficiency and perpetual exhaustion, but of faith and of hope and of love. Those were the core values that Paul commended them for. This is a church that Paul commends. Point three. A good leader works to please God and not people. A good leader works to please God and not people. That doesn't mean that a leader shouldn't be mindful of the people that they lead, but it means that they know that they are called by God to a task that they will one day do and account for and they have to they have to lead, they have to work to please him. Paul was concerned about the people. And I'll be getting on I'll get on to that in a minute, point 4. four. He knew when people questioned him, when people questioned his motives and his actions, he knew, he said, God is witness. God tests hearts. You know, he, said, he said, I'm not going to defend myself before you. God knows. He, is, he was more concerned about working for God than he was about pleasing people. But point four, and this is, this might be the one where it all goes wrong, where stories like the rise and fall of Mars Hill happen. A good leader is accountable to those that they lead. We're not sure in, in these opening chapters of 1 Thessalonians whether Paul is, um, whether, whether the report that came from Timothy has come with um, a kind of a, a criticism on him, that the church in Thessalonica are feeling abandoned, that they're feeling as though Paul's words were empty because where is he now? Or whether Paul, just caring for them, loving them, is, is, is willing to explain himself to them. To give, to explain why he's not there, to explain what his heart for them is, what his actions towards them were, and why his absence isn't uh, isn't evidence of of him not caring, of his words having been empty. Paul cares enough to explain this to them. He is accountable to them. There's such a gentleness to the way he is um, explaining himself. To them in this letter. A leader who isn't accountable to the people they lead and the people they lead with is a leader to beware of. Leaders who lead like that abuse and intimidate those they lead to achieve their own ends and not to work as a body and see something shaped that is shared by the whole community. I want to to take a moment to just reflect on something related to this. And, And again, I'm not using this message to commend myself, and I'm not saying what I'm about to say now. This is not about me and you. This is not about us. This is just a reflection that I think, if we will reflect on, it might impact the way that we think, the way that we talk, the way that we behave. As I was preparing for this sermon, I read a Commentary by a guy called John Stott. And if you've been a Christian for more than 10 years, you you know he is a serious guy. And and what he says is to be taken seriously. And he commented on on the the nature of the, the love and apparent mutual trust that there was between Paul and the church in Thessalonica. And he pointed to, among other things, the way that Paul starts his letter to them. In other letters to other churches, and I will be talking about 2 Corinthians uh, in a moment, in in other letters to other churches, Paul starts by restating who he is. You know, Paul, an, an apostle of Christ Jesus, called by the will of God to the churches in wherever. there's something going on that he has to remind them who he is, what God's called him to do, and what he's going to do. In the opening words of the letter to the church in Thessalonica, Paul just says Paul. Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church in Thessalonica. It's just so much more open, so much less formal, but there's there's no. I don't think it was prompted by insecurity or pride either. I think it's prompted by necessity. Paul had to, with some churches, remind them, "Hey, I'm an apostle. I'm called by God for your good. You know, don't forget this. I'm working for you." He didn't have to do that with the Thessalonians. He just said, "I'm Paul. You're the church in Thessalonica." And it was it was open. It was it was loving. In in two Corinthians. By the way, this is this is. I'm not certain that what I'm saying now stands up to criticism or cross examination. So please do disagree with me if you want to. Um, but um, but I think there is something to this. In two Corinthians, in chapters ten and eleven, Paul defends himself uh, before the church in Corinth, and he defends himself in two ways. The first way he defends himself is to this his... His human credentials. He says, "I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. I'm, I'm better than those supposed super apostles." He just quite naturally lists his human credentials. As I say, not out of pride, not out of insecurity, but just reminding, them, "Hey guys, I'm Paul by God." You know, you know, Paul was a competent leader. He's saying, "Hey, I'm a competent leader. I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite." You know, elsewhere in the <coughs> Philippians, he talks about, you know. You know, as to the law, faultless and all of this. The other way that Paul, and Paul says he's talking like a madman, by the way. He wishes he didn't have to say these things to the church in Corinth. And the second way he defends himself before them is to say, and I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, five times I've received the 40 lashes less one. He's saying to them, look, not only am I called to this, but I've shown my character because I haven't given up. I've gone through all these things. Why would I do this if I wasn't called to this? Why would I carry on if I didn't love you? And Paul has to defend himself to the church in Corinth. He's, he's clearly facing criticism and comparison to the so called super apostles. Contrast that to what I just read to you a few moments ago of his openness to the Thessalonians, of his vulnerability with them, to just explain, no, my my heart is with you. I want to be with you, but Satan hindered us. I was so concerned for you that I sent Timothy. I'm so pleased to hear the report that he's brought me. Paul loved the Thessalonians, and Paul knew the Thessalonians received him and loved him also. I couldn't say whether Paul's ministry was more or less effective in one place or the other. But I don't think it would have been to anyone's benefit that he had to miss his credentials, uh, you know, state all of the things that made him uh, able to be a minister of God to them, to be an apostle to them. <coughs> Paul knew he was accountable to God, firstly. Paul was going to persevere with the Corinthians, because he knew that God had called him to a task that he was finished with. The mature, it must present spotless. People don't always like that. Sometimes you, you might have people that really not enjoy, I like, really don't like where you're trying to lead us. That doesn't mean it's not God calling that change to happen. My children don't always love my parenting. I parent them all the same. And if I'm onto something here, and I think I am, and I think there's enough evidence in the rest of scripture to say that there is something to this I think it's an important part of the puzzle because if a leader is already holding two things in tension that are difficult to hold in tension that they are working to please God but also they're accountable to the people that they lead if if a leader is already doing that difficult task then then the, the attitude, the disposition of heart of Those who are being led to those that God has given to them to lead them is important. And as I say, that is a reflection. It isn't aimed at you and me. It is not at all. It's just, I think it's worth reflecting that the maturing of a church, the fruitfulness of a church, can be impacted by that relationship between those who are being led and those who are leading. And it has a saying it mustn't be it mustn't be lording over. It must be the leaders are accountable to those who are being in bed. It must be leaders who are giving account before God. But this is this is important. And as I say, I want to end just by saying, Paul loved those churches he ministered to. You know, we see in the chapters that we just read of Thessalonians, didn't we, of Paul talking about how, like a mother nursing her own children he loved them how like a father he exhorted each one of them says he exhorted every one of them each one paul knew this church he knew them personally it wasn't just the leader that knew paul paul knew the church he exhorted each one of them he encouraged each one of them he challenged each one of them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that is on them. The how is much more important to God than the what. <laughs> and that is, that's the end of that message. How are we going to time? Right. I'm going to pray and I'm going to seamlessly segue into a bit of practical leadership. How about that? Right. Um, let's pray. Guys, if you would like to close your eyes, whatever you want to do to. Uh, you know, hopefully, hear from the Holy Spirit and not just my babbling of words. Uh, that will be great. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move on into something very different, very quickly. Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you have added us to a family. I thank you that you have uh, given us people who who love and serve us, who look out for us, who will one day give an account for the way that we lead. And Father, we pray that you would um, you would make us a congregation who demand godly leadership, who holds to account those in leadership here. And Father, we pray that the leaders here, which is all of us, but particularly the eldership, trustees, wider leadership team, Father, that you would make us people who are conscious that we are living to please you, living to follow your lead and not to run away with our own ideas. Father, would you guard us from every unrighteous leadership practice? Father, would you let this place be a place where your love, where the upside-down triangle, where servant leadership is found? And you should bless us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Julian, I, I don't know if you know how to do this. Are you okay to mute the sound going out onto the street?